Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, August the 20th, 2022. It is currently 1222 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. And we have a lot to do, so no time for anything else. I can't talk about anything else. We've got a lot to do. We This is part two of a brand new series where we are attempting to try to understand how the church in 2022 is teaching and ministering to young people. What is the church's philosophy in 2022 when it comes to youth ministry? What is it doing? What is it preaching? What is it teaching? Now, one of the things I want you to do in this series, and I'm going to say this at the beginning of every episode, as I truly want you to grab a piece of paper, and I want you to write down what you think are three very important things that young people should be being taught in 2022. What maybe is it? You just I'm, I'm not going to give you any ideas. What do you think churches should be teaching? What should churches be the focus when ministering to young people in 2022? I don't care exactly how you write it down, but please send me your thoughts and your input because we may dedicate an entire episode to just what everyone has suggested. Maybe maybe we dedicate an entire episode to going, hey, we've received 50 emails going, this is what I think the church should should be focusing on. This is what I think the church should be teaching. First of all, it'll be absolutely hilarious because I'm pretty sure that I, if, if we get 50, it'll will <laughs> there will be no agreement on any of them. Everyone will disagree. That will be somewhat funny, but it'll just it'll be very telling of the disunity within the church. But that's a whole different subject. I, I do want to know though, I do really want you to tell me what you think. The church should be teaching young people in 2022. I want your perspective. Three things, three things. It would also be interesting to see what you think churches are teaching. Like, what do you think they should be and what do you think churches are? Because it would be interesting to know if the person in the pew is happy with what the churches are doing with young people or unhappy. I wonder if there's a contentment or discontentment because there's, there's usually massive sometimes conflict, I think, between parents and, and the church and what the parents think and what the church thinks. And everyone has a different approach. And I'm sorry, I almost just knocked the microphone over. But um, I would like to hear that. But my, the most important thing is I really want you to know what you think the church should be teaching young people in 2022. Um, and, and, and if I do read it on the air, I won't give your name or anything, but I'm just definitely interested in that perspective. But with that in mind, what we're attempting to do is to listen to, well, sermons from a youth conference where we can get an idea of what the church is doing in 2022. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, but but, but, but it's just one youth conference. You really cannot draw any dogmatic conclusions from just listening to sermons from one youth conference. That would not give us a complete comprehensive idea of what the church is doing. I, I and one, On one hand, I agree with you, but it gives us at least a starting point. But if you listen to part one of this series, the person preaching that we're listening to in this first message that we are reviewing made a very dogmatic declaration. And his dogmatic declaration is this youth conference that we're reviewing, which was a youth conference that happened this summer at First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. (laughs) This is funny that this conference 
is the most influential youth conference in the history, basically, of Christianity. It is the most influential youth conference anytime, anywhere. So that means this this is, according to them, this is the one we have to listen to. This is the most influential one. If whatever they're doing for youth, however they're approaching youth ministry, that has to become the model for the rest of us because they're the most influential according to their own selves, according to the, the, the way they're promoting it themselves, which is pretty fascinating to be so, hey, there's thousands of youth conferences, but we are the most influential. It, it, it's kind of interesting. Then he went, he uh, just quickly in review, he, he, he said a lot of things. I'm not going to go back and talk about all of them, but basically he led us to the point where we're supposed to understand that the message he has for us is a message given to him by God. You know, my issues when preachers say that, because that's basically saying you can't contradict, you cannot disagree because my sermon came from God. But if you just think about it logically, if every pastor's sermon was given to them by God, then why is there so much doctrinal disunity in the body of Christ? Because God, is, if God is the one approving, if God is the one giving the message, it would all be theologically the same. But I guess Christians never stopped <laughs> to think about that. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's so confusing. Uh, also, this conference, just in review and, and what they did at the very beginning, is basically claim that they have influenced millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of lives, which I talked about how Christianity loves to do this. If you take every ministry claiming that they have reached and changed millions and millions and millions of people's of life, if you added it up, basically everyone in America has been saved 13 times. But then at the same time, that we'll talk about how many millions and millions and millions of people have been changed and how they're reclaiming America for Christ and they're changing people and, and all of their, their claims and then turn right back around and tell you that the world is falling apart and it's on fire and everything is crumbling and disaster is near. And I'm like, I don't know how it can be like on one hand, millions and millions and millions of people are being changed. And on the other hand, the world is literally falling apart. But again, Christians will hold contradictory ideas and somehow able to keep them separate in their brain. I don't ever truly understand how that happens, but it is a common occurrence. So that's kind of it in review. We've, we've reached this seven. We, we spent an hour in part one. Well, to be fair, 30 minutes of it was me giving my own philosophy about youth ministry. And I'm not going to go back and uh, just, you need to listen to part one. So we made it only seven minutes in to the sermon, and but the sermon really hasn't started. He spent seven minutes just doing kind of introductory things, but now we're getting ready to finally hear the first sermon preached at a youth conference this summer, 2022. According to the people of this conference, this is the most influential youth conference to ever exist. So this is the one to listen to. How is the church teaching young people in 2022? What is the church teaching young people in 2022? Now, you, you, I, I would love to get your guess. What do you think he's getting ready to teach? What do you think? Well, we know the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got some, I've got some really good ideas on where this is going. I got some really good ideas where this is going, but I'm not going to speculate. We're going to jump right in. So are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just please note that the audio for this is extremely loud. I've tried to find that kind of middle where it's not too loud, but it's not too quiet. I, I appreciate that they made their content loud because we, uh, we've, we've tried to review things in the past and the volume was too low. So this, this one is just trying to make sure I don't 
you know, blow out anyone's eardrums. So just be ready. Here we go. First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana, this summer, just maybe weeks ago. And uh, they had a youth conference, which they claim this youth conference is one of the most influential in history. It's been around for, I guess, well over 50 years. Uh, and uh, they they've supposedly have changed millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, untold millions of lives. And uh, well, what we're interested in is what they're doing in 2022. How, what do they think young people need in 2022? Here we go. First Corinthians chapter number 10. First Corinthians chapter number 10. I want to ask you to do three things tonight. Would you please? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent and will be spent. You have no idea what's about ready to come. If you've never been here before, uh, you're really going to be blown away. If you've been here before, there's a lot of tricks up the sleeve around this place, and they are here. Please note, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent to have a youth conference. They got tricks up their sleeves. Does it require thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars? To bring young people into a building and say, open up your Bibles, we're going to teach you the word of God? Or do you have to supplement the teaching of God's word with fun, food, games, and gimmicks? Because I don't see anything in the Bible about offering fun, food, game, and gimmicks. The church, the New Testament knows nothing of that. In fact, when they added something to the church, like the what's sometimes referred to as the Gape feast in 1 Corinthians, they were adding it to the Lord's Supper. Paul was very blunt and said, don't you have homes to eat in? Go home and eat. You come to the church for something different. You come to the church to partake of the Lord's Supper. You don't come to church to partake in shoving food down your throat. You come to the church for the word of God. Go home and eat. Come to the church to partake of something spiritual. Go home and have your fun. Go home and have your games. But, but every time I mention that, people get upset with me. And like, it's nothing wrong if the church does this and it does this and it does this. Well, then where do you draw the line? So does it require, this is just a very important question. Oh, oh, I think there's a very important philosophical question. Does it require thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars? Here's the one who stressed it, not me. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to get kids to show up to simply preach to them the word of God. And if it requires thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, then what are we really giving the kids? The preaching of God's word or all of the, whoo, we got tricks up our sleeves. Let's listen to that again, because I think this is uh, giving us an insight to the church's mindset when it comes to youth ministry. And uh, listen, this is very important. This has been the church's mindset for a very long time. We got to entertain them. We got to wow them. We got to keep their attention. We got, we got to do so. I, I mean, I, I'll never forget. I think it was my church in Nebraska. Now, uh, my, uh, my children were never a part of youth ministry. I kept them away from all youth ministry because, well, I, I don't think I've ever agreed with any youth ministry that I've ever seen. But um, I, I'll, to this day, I'm just blown away by it. So I, and I only walked into the, 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 the area maybe once or twice. Now, I know, I know people today, and I will get verification and correct it in the next episode if I'm wrong. But I'll never forget that I walked in their so-called youth, the youth ministry room. Again, I don't know why you need a youth ministry room. I don't know. But I walked in. If I remember, there were like couches. Uh, there were like a ping pong table. I can't remember. And to me, it looked like, so is this, 
This is where ministry occurs, or is this is where fun? Like they tried to make it. I don't know. I, it's like I don't know. Like like it's like young people. What do we do with young people? We like the church is like we don't know. Oh wait, give them a ping pong table. Give them a pool table. Give them a give them give them games. Give may, put a couch over there. We got to make it look hip. We got to make it look cool. And I'm like, no. How about we just say, hey, young people. Uh, no, no, the sanctuary, the sanctuary. Yeah, that's where you're gonna be, and you're gonna open a Bible. You're gonna study God's word. Now, if you don't want to, fine, just sit there. But but the church is here to equip saints. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to wow you. We're not here to pull tricks out of our sleeves. We're here to give you the word of God. That's what we're doing. If you're not saved, well, you're definitely not going to enjoy it, not going to like it, which ticks off parents because parents want their kids to enjoy church. And they're more than happy that their kids enjoy church, even if all they're really enjoying is the fun food and activity, but it makes them feel better. I, I don't know why why that, but you know, but then we could get into a whole discussion of young people forcing af- after kids reach a certain age, you will go to church. You will. Yeah, because that, that has a great track record of bringing, uh, producing conversion. Oh, wait, conversion is produced by the sovereign work of God. Yeah, I know I'm going to take off everyone in this series. But I just find it interesting the way churches approach youth ministry. It's just this really like weird a th- thing. So they have a youth conference and it's cost thousands. Of, well, let's let him say it one more time. I almost said these messages. How many of you ready here? Four or five just right in the first slot. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I want to ask you to do three things tonight. Would you please? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent and will be spent. You have no idea what's about ready to come. If you've never been here before, uh, you're really going to be blown away. If you've been here before, there's a lot of tricks up the sleeve around this place, and they are here to entertain you, to feed you, to wow you, to epic you, and they ask to entertain you, to wow you, to epic you. To epic you? Okay, it's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. It's going to blow your minds. Is it, is it, is it really? I don't know. I just, I I know, maybe, maybe because I became a Christian in my teenage years after coming from a very much a non-church background, the minute I stepped into the church and saw all their supposed wow and games and ooh, I was always like, this is as lame as lame can be. What is wrong with these people? They are so out of touch. They don't have a clue what's going on in the teenage world, teen, the teen world. I didn't come to church for this nonsense. Now, it was usually the church kids were like, whoa, that was fun. Yeah, that was great because they were so sick of church. They just wanted to have fun. It was usually the church kids who didn't really like church who wanted to be entertained. And it was the church parents who wanted their kids to be entertained so they didn't have to fight and argue with them about coming to church. They loved that. Give my kid the entertainment. But me, I didn't want the, I was like, I don't need your help for fun. I don't need you to entertain. I don't need you to give me some lame movie night with some garbage movie that's not entertaining. I don't need your copy music where you're trying to copy the music of the world in a really lame way. I don't need anything you're giving me. I don't need you to take me to Six Flags. I don't need a lock-in. I don't need a pizza party. I don't need any of this nonsense. I can get, I can have all the fun I want when I leave here. I need you to do something else for me. I need you to teach me what it means to be a Christian. I need you to teach me the word of God. I need you to answer my 127,000 theological questions. I need you to help me learn how to study the Bible. And guess what? Most of the things I needed, I didn't get in church. I got outside of church. I, I will be honest. If I never went to church, and I know this is going to sound mean, but this is a dogmatic fact. If I never went to church one time, 
as a teenager, I would have been no worse off spiritually. I, I've, told, I've told you before, my, all of my discipleship uh, happened outside the church. There was Now, I met the woman at church. She was an elderly woman. I don't know, 60s, 70s, I don't know. And I, she just seemed like serious and knew the Bible and knew theology. So I would go to her house like after school and sit on the floor and she'd open a Bible and she just, man, she knew doctrine, she knew theology, and it was crazy. There was no other young people. It wasn't a church activity. So it was outside of church. And then I've told the story before, going home after school, I had three notebooks, right? One notebook for MacArthur, one notebook for Swindoll, one notebook for Chuck Smith, right? I didn't understand anything. And boom, I would listen to their sermons and take notes, listen to their sermons and take notes. The other thing I did is went to the Bible bookstore, Butternut Street, Abilene, Texas, found a book on Bible study methods and the bargain bin for like 25 cents. That revolutionized my life. That's most of my learning. Most of my discipleship occurred outside of the local church. If I never would have walked into a local church, I would have been no worse off spiritually, and I definitely was not better off spiritually for what happened inside the church. I know that sounds like, how can you say that? I'm just telling you the truth, because this is the thing. We spent thousands of dollars to entertain you, to wow you. I, how is that going to help me in my Christian life? I'm struggling with sin. I'm making mistakes. I'm having major issues. But the church was there to go, we're going to wow you. You want to come to a lock-in? You want a piece of pizza? Oh man, it's such, now again, I, I, I'm, I'm just looking at it from my perspective. If you grew up in the church, you probably have fond memories of a lot of that because you grew up in the church. You probably were tired of the church. You probably didn't want to hear any more sermons. You probably didn't want to hear any more Bible lessons. You may have been homeschooled. You're like, you know what? I've already heard all of this. So when the church offered you entertainment, you're probably like, this is amazing. This is fun. Well, for the non-church kid, I'm like, I'm starving to death spiritually, and all you want to do is shove a hamburger down my throat. I can do that on my own. So it's just, I find it that in 2022, not much has changed. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been spent to wow you, to entertain you, to epic you, and to feed you. I'm assuming that feeding has zero to do with the scriptures. Ask and we ask and I ask in the name of the Lord just for you to do three things. Number one, pray. A young person that prays right now, you can pray in about two to three seconds that you will boldly listen. Pray. Would you pray right now in your heart? Right now, say, Dear Lord Jesus, please speak to my heart. Dear Jesus, I'm listening. Secondly, pay attention. And it will cost you something. The grumbling in your stomach, the distraction of a friend next to you. You're going to have to pay something, but would you pay attention? Would you pay attention? And then thirdly, for the whole conference, including right now, would you participate? Uh, you need to help me, okay? You say, man, I, I, this is my first time. I just got saved. We have people in our group right over here. I'm so glad that our church is here. But they just got saved. They just got invited like last week and, uh, and, and, and rode the bus. And, and, and you might be that way. And, and you're saying this is for everybody else. We need you to help us preach. 
Pray, pay attention, and participate. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 as we stand to our feet. Uh, If you cannot hear, uh, you cannot make out the words clearly. Would you raise your hand? Can everybody hear? If you cannot hear, you just cannot make out the words. Raise your hand if you will. Can everybody hear okay? Is it loud enough out there? Great, wonderful. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And let's just jump in to verse 4. And they all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is speaking of the Israelites. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown. Now, I'm going to pause, and I want you to say it out loud and together to make sure that we're in the same place. And we're seeing what we're reading. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our... Oh, that was okay, but let's do it again. Now these things were our... To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now he's speaking to us today in 2022, my generation, us, we, tonight. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now it's I just have to throw something in. Circle that word fornication. I'm going to be interested and see what he does with it. What kind of fornication, like if I'm teaching the Bible because you know the way I teach the Bible I like I very much like kind of the Socratic method. I like to ask questions. So I would ask everyone, what fornic- what kind of fornication was that? What what kind of fornication was that? I'm just curious. Like what kind of fornication? I, I think that's a good question. Now now we'll see how he's gonna handle the text. I'm just I'm interested in how he's gonna handle the text, but yeah, we, we may we may do a little devotional on that. We'll see. Right. Speaking about One incident in these verses 7 and 8, matter of fact, this whole passage here in the Old Testament. There are texts that just preach themselves. They need no commentary. And really, this is one of these texts as we continue in verse number 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as as some of them also murmured, uh, and, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now notice verse number 11. Now all these things happened unto them for... They were to show. It was, a, it was an illustration. It really happened, but it was for you and I today. And they are written for our admonition. That's what I want to do tonight. An example, an admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Who is that? That's us tonight. Wherefore let him that thinketh He standeth, take heed, lest he fall. That's me tonight, growing up in a Christian home. That's you, maybe riding a bus, growing up in a Christian home. You've been to this conference many times. Let he which thinketh that he standeth, taketh heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You and I may not be, but he is, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Notice verse number seven. The Bible says, neither be idolaters. He's saying, put God first. Don't let anything get in the way of an authentic, real 
Spirit worship, spirit believing on God, in God, following God. Don't be idolatrous. He speaks over it many, many times. Following your flesh, yourself, uh, selfishness, and the, the noise. As Brother, Abdel, uh, Brother Judah mentioned the white noise. He said, don't be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to what? Play. Father, bless us, I pray, as we bring this truth tonight. Lord, speak to us. Hide us behind the cross. Teach us something, I pray. Thank you for these teenagers. We love them so much. Our hearts are just so filled with love. We're excited about all the fun, the food, the excitement. Lord, the truth. That's what we need now. and We need to respond to it. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For every New Testament truth, there is an Old Testament picture. The Old Testament picture is in Exodus chapter 32. Turn there as quickly as you can, and this is youth conference, and we use the Bible. We still believe in the Bible. Exodus chapter 32, we turn to the Old Testament picture for the New Testament truth that we were learning about for today. Exodus 32 tells the story, and I want you to follow it along because I want you to see what was going on and taking place during this time that the New Testament just told us about. Exodus chapter 32 is the Old Testament picture. And when the people saw, Exodus 32 verse 1, that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, stop and think about that. We don't know, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the golden calf. Is that what it says? I'm going to read again, and, and, and said, tomorrow is a feast to the calf. What does it say? Remember the third P, participate. What, is, what does it say? And, and tomorrow is a feast to who? The Lord, but they just made a golden calf. Yeah, let, let's make an altar before the golden calf. But let's also make a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow, and they went to church. They had a youth conference. They listened to the preaching. They offered burnt offerings. They, they did what they were supposed to do. They brought peace offerings. And the people, verse 6, sat down to eat and to drink and to rose up and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. Quickly out of the way which I commanded them. It was a crucial time in the history of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. An incredibly crucial time. As a matter of fact, what was taking place on that mountaintop was the most crucial of their history. And at the most crucial uh, crossroad of their history... It was examined and then given to us as an admonition and an example and an example, a showing, an illustration, a picture that during this crucial time, during all of this, they were just playing games. They were just playing games. 
I see three things in this text that they were playing games with. For those of you that make notes, but please don't write much. Because I want God to speak to your heart and I want it to be on your heart and not on the paper. Number one, they were playing games with the goodness of God. Secondly, they were playing games with the greatness of God. And thirdly, they were playing games with God's game plan. The first thing that we see is that they were playing games with the goodness of God. See, Moses is on top of this mountain for two reasons. He's up there to receive instructions about the sanctuary. The sanctuary is also known as the tabernacle, which means God, the creator, as you so well shown in your media uh, uh, team, uh, uh, with all of the universe and the stars and the bigness of the world, the billions upon billions of sun, suns that can fit into just one of the stars that they found. And God is the creator of all and the bigness of the universe and we see that he's up there saying I want to come down and dwell with my people I want to talk to them I want to meet with them and I want to set up a way to do that just as God through this conference you're here right now for more than the pizza you're about ready to enjoy more than the games more than the fireworks more than all the epicness God it's not us it's God saying I want to tabernacle with you Okay, I, I am, I'm, 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 on one hand, I'm really interested how he went to 1 Corinthians, didn't really do much with it, and then immediately said, we're going to go find part of the story, because I think there's a part in numbers as well. Uh, but I, it, it's interesting how, we, like, so does he answer the question, why is Paul using this illustration in 1 Corinthians? Because there's got to be a similarity between what happened to Israel and what is going on in the church of Corinth, because the church of Corinth, if you don't remember, the, the first Corinthians is a letter written to a church that was located in a city in which the city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. So what, what do we discover? That the same reality, the same truth of the human sinful nature that is found in Exodus was still present in the church of Corinth and it's still present in us all. That it once again demonstrates that no matter what we have around us, no matter what spiritual advantages we have, we are still sinners. Once again, it drives us to the fact that we need salvation by grace because if it's based on us, we're always going to fall short. Um, it... Um, we, we have some idolatry here. I, I, I don't know exactly what direction he's going to go. I think, I, I don't know. But I, so I, I, on one hand, I'm kind of just, I'm trying to go, how is he going to bring these two together? What is he going to do with it? I, I've got some ideas because there's, there's some, we have idolatry. We have fornication or sexual immorality. How is that sexual immorality connected to the idolatry, which would be relevant to the very to the church at Corinth? Because idolatry and sexual immorality went together because they had temple prostitutes in the city of Corinth, where you basically worshipped your God. You, you you in a sense in engaged in spirituality by physical relations with the, with the temple prostitute. So, so it's interesting. That's why I was telling you to look at that fornication, sexual immorality. Yeah, people immediately go to the, the, the sexual sin, but I think it's connected to idolatry. But, but so I was just already ready to go in and start kind of teaching. So I'm going to be interested to see how he pulls it all together. But, all, but I have to stop right here and at least go once again, this is the weird Weird thing about youth ministry in every year. On one hand, he says, you're not, what we're about to do, it's not about the pizza. It's not about the fireworks. It's not about the games. It's not about all of that. Well, if it's not about all of that, then why are you providing all of that? 
Because on one hand, you're trying to tell them, hey, hey, all of those things are there to wow you, to entertain you, to, to be epic. And they're going to be amazing. They're going to blow your mind. We spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on it. But make sure you understand what's really important is what I'm doing right now. Don't you see you're, you're throwing out really contradictory messages? We spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands on that. Hey, it's going to blow your mind. But, but really what's important is what we're doing here for 30 minutes as I try to preach you the word of God. But hey, 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 hey. So in other words, what it's almost saying is don't make those things out there the idols. Don't make. So the church is in a sense, I guess it's, it's providing a test. Hey, this is what's important. Now, when you rise up, don't go become an idolater and make those things more important. But isn't the church making those things more important? I'm a little confused by the messaging here. Hey, it's the preaching that's important, but I've also told you, and he's now mentioned thousands and thousands of dollars. It's going to wow and entertain and epic you. That was his words. Now he mentions it again and how it's going to wow you. and It's going to be amazing. So he keeps mentioning all of these things out there, right? Which seems to me would just be kind of getting the kids to focus on, oh, I can't wait to get out there and see all the things they have for us. But it just seems a weird contradiction that's happening here. But I just want to, he's got 30 minutes. I want to see what he's going to ultimately do with Exodus and how he's going to at- attach it back to 1 Corinthians. And Because again, what I believe the young people need is sound exegetical teaching and being taught how to ex- how, how they should be taught how to handle the word of God as well. But let's see, right now, his first point and his outline is playing games with the goodness of God. Playing games with the goodness of God. I want to dwell with you. I established the cross as the lighthouse, as the beacon for you, as they, the sp- when they said they drank of that spiritual rock, which is Christ, they were looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And they had to, by faith, listen by faith to what Moses, uh, that God had appointed to bring them the message, was saying, God w- loves you, and he wants to meet with you, and he can talk to you. You may not see him, you may not feel him, he might feel like he's way up on some mountain somewhere. He's out there and I'm in a real building, in a real church, in a real auditorium, but he's still trying to tabernacle with you. He's still trying to meet with you. So I guess in one way, see God wanting to meet with you. That's the goodness of God. And you should be so consumed with God wanting to meet with you that all these other things aren't important. Well, if God wanting to meet with you is what's so important, then why did the church spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of, of giving the young people all of these other things? So on one hand, we're like, God is what's most important. Just spending time with God. It's all that matters. It's the most important thing. The study of God's word. It's what's important. Okay, but we're going to end 30 minutes early because we got a potluck. Hey, next week, we won't have a Sunday evening service because we got the church picnic. Hey, this October, we will be canceling our Wednesday night service because we've got a hayride. Hey, young people, this coming Friday, we have a lock-in. Hey, and it's like the church is like five billion opportunities for entertainment. What we say, but it's all we need is God. If we have God, we don't need anything else. God meets our every desire. God meets our every need. We, we all, and it's like on one hand, it's trying to preach that, hey, young people, don't get distracted by all these other things that we ourselves are providing you because what's most important is spending time with God. <laughs> what? Uh, I, I'm having a hard time keeping it straight. Because he loves you. He cares about you. 
Secondly, not only were, were, was Moses up there receiving instructions about the sanctuary, the tabernacle, he was up there receiving uh, the statutes, also known as the ten what? Commandments. And this was God's ultimate gift to mankind. And so, so I guess point one is playing games with God. And then sub point is that Moses was on the mountain receiving the commandments of God. And, and Moses was, I guess, receiving the Ten Commandments. I'm trying to follow his outline. I'm trying to follow his outline. So, but, okay. All right. But all right now, we'll just, we'll see which, where, which direction he's going to go with this. Often we think that Christianity is a minus sign. Somehow it takes away from us. And we've got to, you know, uh, trudge this dark and lonely and hard trail. No, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible says my yoke is easy. It's purpose-filled. It's joy-filled. It's a work that you enjoy doing. And he's up there giving the Ten Commandments as a gift. Oh, yeah, if I get saved, if I really sell out, if I go boldly, if I'm courageous, if I say no to apprehension, then I've got to kind of take a step back. I'm going to lose something. You know, I won't have that job or I won't have that money or I won't have that girl or I won't have that car or I won't have that guy or I won't have whatever. That's a lie. We're so ignorant. I'm with you. Many times I sit there and I'm like, okay, yeah, I preach. You know, man, if I get right with God, you know, what, what am I going to go home from this conference and have to do? And yet you could pick out any one of those Ten Commandments and reveal in our little finite mind when we don't trust God uh, how ignorant we are, how dumb, can I say how stupid we are, because all of them was God's gift. You could pick out any one of the ten like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, I guess you can't do that. You know, I don't have anything and I can't take from anybody else. That was God's gift of ownership, so I couldn't just come and pick whatever I wanted. It's God's gift of ownership. And God was up there. I'm I'm just trying to have a hard, I'm trying, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out exactly what the thesis is here, what the point is here. So I guess the point is, is the Ten Commandments are the goodness of God. So is he saying the Ten Commandments are good because we can do them? Or is he saying the Ten Commandments are good because they reveal that we can't do them and that we fall short of them? And therefore we, but, and so they point us to Christ. So is that... I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to fall. I'm trying to figure this out. Um, I mean, I do believe the law of God is good in the sense uh, it's good because it reveals my sin and it points me to Christ who completed and fulfilled the law. And therefore my hope is not in my ability to, to fulfill the law, but in Christ completing and fulfilling the law perfectly. But I, I don't think we're going to get a much of a distinction between law and gospel here. I don't think we're going to – we're not even really getting much of an exegesis of, of Exodus 32, and I don't know if why, – why did we even start in 1 Corinthians 10? Because it seems like we're in 1 Corinthians 10, but really he's going to preach Exodus 32. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's going to go to Exodus 32, just point out a couple of things, then go back to 1 Corinthians 10 and then show the correlation, or I, I – I'm – I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to follow this. Let's let's see where it goes. But remember, this is how young people what young people are getting in 2022. You can determine. You may think it's the greatest thing that young people have ever heard. You may have a completely different perspective than I do, and you have a right to be wrong. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, here we go. I need a cell phone, glasses. God was up there. Are you listening? God was up there giving the gift of ownership to you. God was up there giving abundant blessings to each and every one of us. 
And during that time, I don't know whose is whose, during that time, the people of God were down in the mountain, and because they didn't have faith to listen, because they didn't have faith to believe, they were playing games in a crucial moment with the goodness of God. We had a grill out with the alleys last night and we had the chicken on the grill and it smelled amazing and it looked amazing and I was hungry and we were getting ready to gather everybody and eat and as I walked to the table outside, uh, we live kind of on a farm and down by the water and there were flies literally swarming the food. I mean flies everywhere. Now, I didn't say anything, but I'll be honest with you, the appetizing chicken that I was just so ready to dig into, it lost some of its enticement. It lost some of its flavor mentally. And God is good, but the devices, the flies, if you will, of this world, the heartaches and the trials come and they're landing on our view, stay with me, of the goodness of God and the chicken was still just as good as it was ever been, but we've allowed, my wife went over there and she just started waving them away and I thought that's what we need to do at FBC Youth Conference 2022, start waving the flies away from the goodness of God so we can see him as good. So God's law is good. We need to wave the flies away from God's law and obey it. Am, am, I, am I missing the point here? Okay. And the reason I'm, I'm really trying to drive into what the thesis is, he's only got about 20 minutes left. He's only got about 20 minutes left. So he's got to get to the thesis of this somewhere because I'm sitting here going, I'm, first of all, I'm trying to follow the outline, but I'm like... All right, so, so the goodness of God, goodness of God is God giving us his law. There's goodness. And then flies come after it. And so we've got to be motivated at this conference to swipe the flies away from God's law. So I get, is this a promotion of the law? That what, that what young Christian young people in 2022 need is the law of God. Is that, is that really what I'm getting here? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Let, let's see. Went to Bible college and Hiles Anderson was dating a girl and Thought she was the one, and we were not engaged, nothing like that, but she just started to talk, and I went home and told my dad about it. My dad said, she's not the one. And immediately, the goodness of my dad and the goodness of God was blinded. And my anger rose up, and resentment, which happens to every young person in this room, rose up in my heart. And I thought, you're already married. I'm trying to do the will of God. I'm trying to do what is right. What more do you want? A lot of young people battle that resentment. Like, I'm doing, I've put in my time. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And I rose up anger and, and, and I almost ruined my life had it not been for the grace and the mercy and the powerful word of God convicting me and causing me to fear but in that moment the reason why anger and resentment rose in my heart was because I could not see the goodness of God I could not see God's grace and God's mercy and we live now in a generation that the major news articles like CNN and online says we now live in the saddest generation that has ever lived. They went into a public school and they just... I told you, 
I told you that after saying that basically millions and millions and millions and millions of lives have been changed by this one conference, and of course every other Christian conference makes the same claim, then you're going to turn around and talk about how bad the culture is. I told you that's what was going to happen. It's a complete contradiction on one hand, but okay, so millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of lives are being changed within churches and ministries all around the world. However, the world is falling completely and utterly apart. So so now the, the, the generation is sad, and the generation is sad because they don't see the goodness of God, and the way you see the goodness of God is looking at the law of God. If you see the law of God, you see the goodness of God, you wipe away the swipe away the flies from the goodness of God, which is the law, you keep the law, and then everything is good. I guess that's that's where this is going. A nice middle class just interviewed the students, just just at random, we just went and began to interview the students and just asked this question. I want you to just take just 30 seconds or so and, and, and listen to the question that was asked and the answers, if you will. Right now. Wow. Um, How long ago were you depressed? When were you last depressed? Turn it up a little bit, please. Why do you get depressed on your birthday? I didn't have a lot of friends. I just feel like I don't have a lot of friends. When were you last depressed? Yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday, I guess. What happened? Uh, I don't like the way I look. Like, I don't like my face, I guess. When were you last depressed? Two months ago. A couple weeks ago. A couple days ago. Last night. This morning. An hour ago. Right now? Right now. Right now. Do you talk to people about it? Um, not really. It's hard to admit that you're not okay. I just kind of get in my feels a bit. I always felt, like, conscious about what I was doing. You just have no motivation. It's difficult to wake up in the morning. I sit in my room, and I only come out when I need to eat or go to the bathroom. Depression has its, like, waves. Sometimes they can be smaller, and sometimes they can be bigger. Sometimes it just happens. The days kind of blend together. There was, like, a huge just weight on you. And you feel like there's no way out. I ran away. When were you last depressed? When I got my heart broke through my breakup. It was just really hard to like feel this type of way for someone. And this whole year's just been crap. When I'm all alone, like it's not good for me. I'm really terrible. <laughs> my best friend got her very first boyfriend and she kind of went off with him and I just felt very abandoned. I lost a lot of friends. It's hard like when you have this whole support system and those people just kind of um, go on their own ways and everything. I don't think I've talked to them since two years ago. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I'm tearing up now. What would you want to say to that person? I, um, I mean, I miss having you as a friend. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, forgive my cynicism. This sounds like a, a great way to manipulate a room full of young people. Have listened to other young people talk about being depressed and feeling lonely because I guarantee you young people with all the emotions raging inside of them, all of them can relate to feeling lonely and feeling sad and feeling depressed and having friends who get, uh, you know, you, your friends get a girlfriend or get a boyfriend and they seem to withdraw from you because they're, all their time is on them and you're depressed. I, I bet you a lot of the young people in that room can relate to this. Now, the question is, what does any of that have to do? with the sermon. Now, it seems that his thesis is everyone's depressed because they don't see the goodness of God. And the way we see the goodness of God is look to the Ten Commandments. So if we gave all of these kids the Ten Commandments, they would feel so much better. That seems to be the way he has structured the sermon. Because, but maybe, I'm wrong, maybe he's going to say the reason they're depressed is idolatry. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how Exodus 32 fits into this. But this seems very manipulative right? He, show video, if there, or if it's just audio, I'm assuming it's video, 
of all of these kids and, and, and having young people cry in a room where there's other young people. I get, hmm. So much of youth ministry is emotional manipulation. I, I completely am convinced of that. And I am someone who's guilty of participating in it. I've given you when I first got saved. Right? I mean, literally five minutes after walking, quote unquote, the aisle, I was placed basically behind the pulpit. Um, and then from that point forward, the, I was taken to churches around West Texas to give my testimony about all the bad stuff. But I was literally told at what point where that would be a good place to cry. That would be a good. And like I was told where to cry. <laughs> Come on. And they wanted me to always do that when there was lots of young people present. I got bullied, and that really took a toll on me. I got jumped. It was just, it was a lot going on. You got what? Uh, jumped. It wasn't, like, it was pretty, like, why'd I have to go through that? But at the same time, like, stuff happens, <laughs> you know. When were you last depressed? Yesterday. When were you last depressed? Today. Got unlucky with the depression gene. I have bipolar. I do take antidepressants. Anti Anti-anxiety medication. Do they help? I can't remember what it was like when I wasn't on them. I started taking them in sixth grade, but I think they do. The world of a difference from being just like hyper aware, stressing about everything to just feeling like I can like do normal day-to-day -day activities like everyone else. When you are feeling depressed, what do you do? Sit there and wallow in self-pity. <laughs> Try and forget about it. Sleep. Netflix. Video games, honestly. I dance. Listening to music. The world doesn't have Jesus. They don't have Jesus. Right, because people with Jesus never, never has depression, never has anxiety. People who have Jesus, we don't have any problems. I mean, we are the picture of perfect mental health Perfect families, perfect relationships, perfect sexuality, perfect. I mean, once you get Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, boom, you got the answer. You got all your problems are solved. I don't think any of them knows Jesus Christ as a personal savior. And yet the sad thing to me, Brother Torres, is there's a room full, not all, there's a room full of kids here far more depressed than 50 years ago at youth conference, five years ago at youth conference. Why? Because something's happening. That's very close to implying that if any young person is there and is depressed, your depression is proof of your lack of salvation. That's a, that's a subtle way of saying that. Hey, all those kids we just saw, I don't believe any of them are saved. But we have a lot of people here who are more depressed than they were 20 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever the case may be. Well, aren't you implying then the ones there who are depressed are not saved? Did Jesus come to save you from your depression? Where in the Bible would you look that salvation immediately removes depression? Especially depending if we look at the possible causes of depression. Is it a chemical imbalance? I know there's been new research calling that, that view into question. But okay, whatever the case may be, did Jesus, the real question, Jesus did not come to save us from depression, came to save us from sin, from the wrath of God. and there's a cold, dark corner of your heart. Maybe somebody touched you in a way that was criminal or wrong, or maybe you heard a mom and dad fighting. Maybe you have hypocritical parents. Maybe somebody in your church has hurt you, and it has clouded or blinded your view of the goodness of God. Again, I'm not quite sure 
what any of this has to do with 1 Corinthians 10. I'm not quite sure what this has to do with Exodus 32. Clearly at this point, he's almost abandoned the text. Like the text was simply there to what he really wants to talk about is young people being depressed. And what's the solution to being depressed? It feels like where we're getting ready to go. The solution to your depression is salvation. And if you're saved, you won't be depressed. That seems to be where he's going, which seems to be completely, why, 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 I was sitting there going, wait, in 1 Corinthians 10, it mentions fornication, okay, and, and then if we do go back to Exodus, where there's idolatry, now we go to Numbers, there's fornication, but if he's mentioned for, for fornication in 1 Corinthians 10, the fornication there would apply to the fornication happening with temple prostitutes, which would be connected to idolatry. So I, I was starting to try to unpack all of that. Like, we've got idolatry, we've got fornication. How do those two correspond with one another? I mean, if you look up any commentary, I think, I'm assuming they're going to try to show you some correlation here. So I'm, I'm sitting there trying to unpack all of that. Remember, when I do my reviews, I don't listen to these in advance. So I'm literally trying to start thinking that way. And next thing you know, we're, I don't even know. We've abandoned the, t- we've left the text. I don't even know why we, was he, why, why did they even bother standing, uh, pet peeve. I, I'm not a fan of the whole, let's stand for the honoring of God's word. Well, what's the point of standing to honor God's word if we sit down and then dishonor it by not actually teaching it, preaching it, or exegeting it? I mean, we're so good at symbolism. Okay, we're, we're so good on putting on a show, putting on a front. Uh, but okay, Let's, maybe he's going to, to make this all fit together. I'm just getting really nervous because I'm looking at the time and I'm like, how is he going to put this all back together? He's got probably less than 17 minutes. You know, I was reminded right before we came over here, uh, Brother Judah asked me to come to his office, and, and uh, we ran up to his office, and he was waiting for his wife to bring him his shirt. I'm in trouble on this one. And uh, I, literally, I, I started crying. I teared up as I watched him and Brother Ross. As they looked down the window, he says, this is my favorite spot. I get a lookout. And he began to pray for and began to talk about his burden for all the young people down below, just right here, just before we started. And you guys were playing uh, the corn toss and putt-putt golf, and I I thought about all the cares that they were carrying down below, not knowing that there were youth leaders up top with a broken heart. I snapped this picture and texted them right before we walked over here, looking down, and I said, this is what it's all about. There is a God in heaven. You didn't know that he was up there loving you and praying for you and crying for you and burden for you far more uh, than any game, far more than any kind of event, far more than any kind of entertainment. There was a burden that I love them and I want God to get a hold of their life. And there is a God standing in the shadows and he's calling out to you in a still small voice to say, listen, bring your brokenness. It's okay. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to super glue it. You don't have to fix it. Just bring it to an altar and say, God, it's me. Nobody knows my name. I sit in a corner. I sit in the back of the bus. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm bitter. I've got resentment. Nobody understands me. I'll never be a preacher boy. I'll never go to college. I don't care. Fill in the blank. Come to the altar and say, God, but tonight I believe one thing. I believe that you are good and you are up there and you have a plan for my life and you love me. So come to Jesus to fix your loneliness, your brokenness. And, and, I, and, and I know this message because when I was t- 
sent to different churches to give my testimony, that was really like, okay, make sure you emphasize how bad your life was. I mean, you were abused, you were lonely, you had no friends, then you tried to kill yourself, you spent eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital, but it's Jesus now that's taken away your depression and making everything. So, so tell those young people that if, if they feel lonely and they need a friend and they feel abandoned and they need depressed, they come to Jesus. So I was preaching not the gospel of come to Jesus to be saved from your sins, come to Jesus to get a friend, to get a purpose in life, to to remove your depression. I was guilty of not preaching the gospel. That's not the gospel. They were playing games with their generation. There are many people here tonight that will never know what it's like to be in a home with drugs and alcohol. There are many young people like myself uh, that will be here tonight and you don't know what it's like to go through a nasty, nasty uh, uh, seeing your parents divorce. There are many young people in this room tonight, uh, they've heard uh, the Lord, uh, John 3.16, and yet people all around the world have never heard Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The lost and dying world out there, if they knew what you were getting tonight, what we were getting, they would crave it. They would want it. There are people by the millions. If That is just theologically not true. If people in the world heard what they're getting, if they heard about the gospel, they would love it. They would want it. They would crave it. That is just not true. No one seeketh after God. No, not one. No, the human heart doesn't want it. The human heart's opposed to it. The human, God has to give them the want. God has to regenerate and give them faith and repentance. This is just not, this is the idea that, so all you got to do is just tell the world, hey, Jesus loves you, and boom, they want it and desire it. That's just not, that's not, that's, this is becoming a theological train wreck as well. So what, I guess what young people get in 2022 is a complete mishandling of God's word, and I'm, I'm getting ready to be very more, much more dogmatic about that, because this sermon is fast approaching its end, and he's not even really focused on the text anymore. He's abandoned the text. And second, this is some really, really questionable theology, because it seems to be that it's almost going through a Pelagian, semi-Pelagian view of human nature. If not billions sitting in churches hearing a false doctrine. They don't have the Bible. And, and, and unfortunately, America today, in our worldly uh, leftist woke uh, uh, society, in our American evangelical churches. Hey, got to throw in some bash against the leftists, the woke, because you're right. On the right, there's never any biblical. It's only woke and leftists that have it all wrong. Maybe he's going to mention those on the right, but okay. All right. So. I don't know what any of this has to do with Exodus 32. I don't know why. Well, I don't even know why he read 1 Corinthians 10. I am completely baffled by the text. But now it's just starting to get into, I don't know. Uh, they don't have the truth. They've got entertainers. They've got people that will just tell them whatever they want to hear. So it's cool and they'll have a bigger crowd next year. And yet you sit here with the truth. You sit here with people willing to open the word of God and tell you what God says and point you to the cross and point you to his goodness and point you to things uh, that Jesus laid out, that God laid out that will radically transform our lives. We have been given so much. I mean, if all we did was sing about the cross, if all we did was talk about the cross, if all we did was pray about and think about and meditate on the cross, it would be enough. And yet we are literally spoon-fed Christianity. We're given so much. 
How dare you? How dare you come to the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, to this youth conference and walk out of there and live your life for yourself? How dare you? How dare I take my life and just do whatever I want to do? Selfish Christianity. Pastor the church the way I want to pastor it. Lead my family the way that I want to lead it. Choose whatever Bible that I want to choose. Instead of saying, oh my God, what is it that you have given to me to hold high, to carry the torch, to march and go boldly into the darkness? You have no right to do your own thing. You have no right to go your own way. You have no right to dwell in your own brokenness and lick your own wounds without bringing it to Jesus and saying, okay, God, he says that the Bible says that God cares and God loves and God knows. So tonight I'll bring it tonight. I'll bring it. They were playing games with the goodness of God. All right. So now he's kind of trying to revert back to Exodus. They're playing games with the goodness of God. He's not quite completely articulating how they're playing games with God. Uh, I guess being depressed. I don't, so, but all right. I, I'm still trying to fit this to Exodus 32. We're going to go a little longer than an hour because I would like to finish this in this episode. Secondly, they were playing games with the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Here they said in Exodus chapter number 32, and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink all right, purely from an exegetical preaching perspective, what he should have done is avoided 1 Corinthians 10 because it added literally nothing to the sermon because he's not doing anything with it. The text of his sermon should be Exodus 32, 6, and they rose up early on the morrow. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Everyone this evening or this morning, afternoon, whatever time it might be, circle the phrase rose up to play. We're going to look at how the Israelites in this narrative rose up to play and see how we can see how we are guilty of doing the same thing. Well, the first thing they did, they rose up to play, uh, play games with the goodness of God. How did they play games with the goodness of God? Well, Moses is there getting the Ten Commandments. That shows the goodness of God. Well, they're down there, I don't know, they, they didn't wait for the commandments. They... I, I don't know. How did they play games with the goodness of God? They they forgot about the good because of everything God had done for them. They start turning to idolatry. Maybe that, that would have nothing to do with the Ten Commandments because they haven't received the Ten Commandments yet. So maybe because they almost started abandoning God because Moses hadn't come back down. Like, okay, then we can look at that. Now they're going to play games with the greatness of God. That, that's really the way this, I don't know why 1 Corinthians 10. I don't even understand why that was written, why that was even read. And, 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 but that's the text. The text of his sermon is Exodus 32, 6, and it's the phrase rose up to play. He's not really even trying to exegete it. He just wants to say they rose up to play. He's trying to come up with some ways that they rose up to play without really trying to explain it from a textual basis. And he wants us to know that we rise up to play. And rose up to play. What is wrong with these people? Listen carefully. What's wrong with these people? Do they not know who brought them out of Egypt? They're literally mocking him without even knowing they're mocking him. And here's what scares me and convicts me is I believe that they are a lot like I get sometimes. They, they bring God down to their level. What's wrong with me? 
If you ever said, what's wrong with me? I can spend an hour getting ready in front of the mirror because I'm going to be at youth conference around the boys, but I can't spend 10 minutes preparing my inner self, my inner man, to, to, to present myself before an almighty God. What's wrong with me? I can walk up at the putt-putt golf or, the, or, or work or at Chick-fil-A or wherever you are and ask a girl for her digits or, or for a Snapchat or whatever. I can ask that, uh, but, but, but yet I can't. For her digits? For her, <laughs> sometimes when preachers try to use uh, "quote unquote" hip lingo, it's probably better just not do that. I mean, I mean, maybe some t- some preachers it, that's really just natural. Put it this way: if you're using the lingo because it's your lingo, if you're using it because you use it, but if you don't use it, just trying to come across like "ooh," you you have no problem walking up to a girl to get her digits. It just seems like it, it just seems fake. It seems fake. Okay, but so, but again. So you can spend all of this time getting ready physically, but you only spend 10 minutes to prepare yourself spiritually. So you need to be more focused on the spiritual than the physical. But hey, guys, we spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars at this youth conference to entertain the physical. Well, then why didn't you spend more time instead of spending money on that, that we spend more time at this youth conference on the spiritual? Like, it's just such, everything is such a contradiction here, but I... I don't know, is he really going to demonstrate anything from Exodus 32? Here's, here's what I think is getting ready to happen. These young people are going to leave this first session of this conference that's supposedly the most influential Christian conference ever, and guess what they're going to walk away with? Not understanding 1 Corinthians 10 and not understanding Exodus 32. And if that's the way the church is going to minister to people, we're going to continue the cycle of biblical illiteracy because they're not learning the text. You know what young people need in 2022? The text. You know what they needed in 2021? The text. You know what they needed in 1950? The text. You know that what they needed in 1500s? The text. We've always needed the text of scripture. Taught clearly, rightly divided, exegeted properly, interpreted hermeneutically in a way that is accurate to the words that are used. That's what we need. And for so for so long, the church doesn't really care about giving that. The church wants to preach sermons, not actually teach the text. Tell somebody about Jesus. What is wrong with me? That's when it's revealed that we're really playing games with a God who created all of this, who created all of the universe, and we bring him down to our level and we say, oh, how does this happen? How, how do I come to a place where I'm playing games with God? I'm going to illustrate it. My time is almost up. I'm going to illustrate it really quick this way, and I want you to see it really, really fast. I want you to see this, okay? What happens? How do we come to a place where we bring God down to our level and we play games with God. Here's what I want. I need a youth leader. Matter of fact, Brother Ross, you be the devil, all right? That's not a good fit. You be the devil. And then let's see here, uh, Brother Torres, you be the world. He's pretty worldly, all right? And then... Uh, we're going to get a Christian. I'm going to have this guy right here uh, sitting beside Miss Rachel. Okay, no, behind you, behind you. Come on up here. Run up here as fast as you can. And he's going to be uh, the Christian, okay? Uh, oh, that isn't a guy. All right, a girl. Sorry about that. You know what? I have to have a guy. Go on back down. I couldn't tell. My eyesight's horrible up here. All right, right here. Why don't you come on up here? Right here. But, but yes, come on up here as fast as you can. I want you to see this. It'll stick in your mind why they were playing games with the greatness of God, the God of the universe, the God riding his finger into the tables of stone, pouring out his love, his grace, his mercy, his plan. So here's the Christian. That's you and I, okay? But then every Christian has selfish desires. When I got saved, my flesh didn't get saved. This is what happened to the children of Israel, dancing naked around the calf in their big rock concert. Okay, my selfish desire.
the big rock conference or the big rock concert. Oh my goodness. It's, it's got to put some, got to go after music in some way, shape or form. Cause all the problems, remember the Kane did not kill Abel until he heard rock and roll. Just so that you know that, right? Sodom and Gomorrah did not begin until the, uh, the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah heard the village people. All right. So I know dated music reference, but you get the idea. One day the shrobe of flesh I'll drop and rise. Thank God I'll be glorified. No, no sin uh, 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 pulling uh, that my old, the members. The Bible says we ought to mortify our members, the body, the eyes, the flesh. The body is, is being drawn to the world. And so I need, I need a big dude. I mean, I'm mean a big, big, huge, strong guy, an adult. Where's the, where's the biggest guy? All right, they're pointing. Come on up here. Come on up here. Uh, who, the guy behind, the first, yeah, come on up here. Run, run, run as fast as you can. Fast as you can. I, I I really don't have a clue what's going on anymore. I it, it, this is so left the text, but but I'm going to give him the opportunity to flesh this out in this illustration somehow. All right, okay, all right, and then. We have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God was up on the mountain. They couldn't see him. They saw the effects when Moses came down, but they could not see him. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're going to call, how about a seventh grader? I got a seventh grader. This little guy right here, right? Go down that road. Yeah, you're pointing to yourself. Run up here as fast as you can. The Holy Spirit of God. Here's what's happening. The Bible says that... Also just from a purely practical matter. Having the young people get up and run is a very dangerous thing because if they trip and fall, they're going to die of humiliation and embarrassment, and uh, that's not going to be good for them because young people are very sensitive to being humiliated or embarrassed in public. So you probably would just say, take your time, walk up here slowly. We'll go a little long in the preaching, but if they fall, fall. Just, just because, yeah, that, that could be really bad. That we can limit the Holy Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. They did it. They were playing games. And how many of the hundreds of thousands, a hundred and however many. Please note the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, God, God is omnipotent, but we can limit God. We can limit the Holy Spirit. We can stop the Holy Spirit. We can tell the Holy Spirit, nope, can't do this, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. It's interesting that we are more powerful than the Holy Spirit. That's a really, really interesting concept from a theological perspective. The Holy Spirit's in me, but the reason we continue to sin, the reason we continue to do these things is we limit the Spirit of God because we're more powerful than the Spirit of God. But you would think that the Spirit of God, since it's more powerful, could overcome our, yeah, you, yeah. Lots of theological issues. We talked about that in our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You can go listen to all of that. Was died. A bunch of them died. All right. Go stand right over here beside the Christian. I want you guys to link arms as quickly as you can. I want you to link arms. So all life long, all week long before he gets to youth conference, he is feeding. Where'd the flesh go? Oh, the flesh is. Yeah, you're supposed to be over here. You, You move down. All week long, he is feeding the flesh because the devil is coding the world. The devil's the prince of the power of the air. He's in charge of the culture. So the devil is programming everything, the music, the dress, the media, the movies, the attitudes, the draw, the pull, the money, the materialism. He's coding the world. The world, here's our adversary, all right? Here is our appetite, okay? Our attraction. Here's our appetite, the flesh. Okay, our appetite sees the attraction. He's pretty attractive. And, uh, 
He wants what the world has because the devil is really, really good, the Bible teaches us. And the Christian is born again. We read it in the text. Man, they had drank, drunk from this rock. That was Christ. They wanted to do what is right. They had followed Moses. They had left Egypt. Thank God for that. They want to do what is right. But they had been limiting. They had not been feeding the Spirit of God in their life. They had been listening to murmurers. They had been listening to the media of this world. They were listening to the media of the world. They were slaves in Egypt. They were released and they start murmuring and complaining almost instantaneously. See, this is, the, this is almost a semi-Pelagian view of man. See, we're, we're basically good. We're basically okay. But if we'll, if we'll not listen to the music of the world and the movies of the world, we'll be okay because all of our problems are external to us. See, if we ab- avoid all the external stuff, then internally we will be good. This is, this is a absolute train wreck. And I don't even really have any clue what this has anything to do with Exodus 32. And he's trying to apply this illustration to the people of Exodus. They were in slavery. They were released by God. They come out and almost instantaneously, they start having problems. Why? Because guess what? Just being delivered from physical bondage has no change on your internal spiritual condition. The music, the media, the materialism of this world and the spirit of God, though I'm not messing with the sovereignty of God. God is great and God is wonderful. But the Bible says that, that uh, he could do no great work there because of their unbelief. They had been listening to the flesh. They had been following the selfish desires. And the first time that a little bit of doubt came, notice they turned aside quickly. Moses delayed. I mean, this guy, Moses brought them out of Egypt. They had seen the waters part. How could it happen the first time temptation came? How can it happen because they have a sinful nature? How can it happen because we're sinners? That's why we have to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. See, it's this weird, like, I don't understand how it could happen. Well, it, 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 it all happened because they were listening to rock and roll. It all happened because they were listening to, to Drake. It, it all went wrong because they were, they were listening to, to Beyonce. That's, that's where it all went wrong. They tempted Christ. We read about it, 1 Corinthians 10. The first time doubt came, the first time heartache came, watch what happens. The devil pulls on the world. The world pulls on the flesh. The flesh pulls on the Christian. And I want you to pull this way. You just remain neutral. Ready? Doubt comes. Three, two, one. I can't see God. I can't feel God. Go ahead and pull. Who do you think is going to win? Come on, guys. Pull that way. Pull that way. We didn't practice. All right, so hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He falls. He messed up. He went the wrong direction. He went left. What happened? Your testimony's ruined. Your good name's ruined. We love you. We want you to come back. We don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. What is wrong with me? Paul says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Oh, wretched, not thing that I've done, but oh, wretched man that I am. So center back up. So he decides, the Christian decides at Youth Conference 2022, I am going to start denying the flesh. I'm not going to listen to my desires. When everybody says, hey, where's Moses? It doesn't work anymore. God's not real anymore. I don't even know if there is a God anymore. You know what? I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid, and hopefully I'm in it. Not a big deal. Hey, we stop all of that, and we say, I want an authentic, real, pour my heart out, pour my prayer out, pour my commitment out throughout all the messages, throughout all the music throughout all God speaking to us I am going to listen go ahead and switch places you too I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit of God I'm going to say yes I'll say yes Lord yes to your will and to your way now wait a minute 
He has starved the flesh. Like the story of the black dog and the white dog. The man took him to a fight and he had everybody bet on the dogs. And if he said the white dog would win, he would and the black dog would lose. The next week they come back and they place their money on the white dog. And he said, no, 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 no. Tonight the black dog wins. They said, not possible because the white dog won so well last week. Huh? Nope. If he said the black dog would win the next week, the black dog beat the white dog. They said, how are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. Finally, they showed up to his house and they threatened him. They said, if you don't tell us how you are doing this, you're not giving signals. We can't figure it out. How do you call it? How do you know which one would win? And they win so definitively. He said, easy. If I want the white dog to win this Friday night, I starve the black dog all week long and I feed the white dog. He says, if I feed the white dog and starve the black dog, the white dog always wins and the black dog always loses. And next week, if I want the black dog to win, I starve the white dog all week long and I feed the black dog and the black dog always wins. And that's what we are doing We barely stand a chance with the media. We barely stand a chance with the attitudes, with the culture, with the apprehension. We barely stand a chance, uh, uh, us preachers here, uh, we barely stand a chance preaching the word of God until somebody stands up and says, I will say yes, I'll make every day a yes day. I will listen to the Holy Spirit of God and I will obey. I will pray. I will participate. I will pay. See, it's that simple. All you got to say is yes to the Holy Spirit. I will obey. All you got to do is say that. And then you just starve the flesh and then you're good to go. Seemingly to completely reject the idea that you're deprived on the inside. Your, your problems are internal. Attention and I'll allow God to work in my life. And the power. I will allow God to work in my life because God can't do anything without you allowing him to do it. But you would think God would be able to change what you would want him to allow or not. The, the whole thing, oh man, this whole thing is a, is a mess. Of no becomes a real principle in our life. And we say no when we see that girl walk by young men uh, and she's not dressed right. We say no instead of just fulfilling whatever we want to fulfill with our eyes. Uh, we say no, young ladies, to gossip and slander and doubt and bickering and backbiting. And do- you know, all you got to do is say no. All you got to do is say no. It's, that, that has been your whole problem, your whole Christian life. Young people, your problem is you just don't say no. Because if you say no, you can be as godly as all of us grown-ups. Because we're so good at saying no to gossip and to slander and to bitterness and to anger. I mean, we say no. We say no. Uh, so the, the food is listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. Law, law, law. These poor kids. Exactly. I, I agree. I agree. It, it's and not only is it on law, but it's just goes to the idea that all you have to do is say no. All you got to do, just say no. Aren't you glad that in 2000 years of church history, all we've had to do is say no to the bad and we would be perfect. We, so this seems to almost imply that you can be perfect because you have the ability to say no depression and darkness uh, that we bring on ourselves we say no no we put the word of god in we walk with him daily we read it we look at the cross we listen to those songs that song would bless you that song that was that was god standing at the window looking down with tears saying i love you amazing grace amazing love and so now the devil's still the devil the world's still the world but the flesh does not have the power because paul says we've mortified it we keep it under subjection And so now I want you to pull him on the count of three. You guys pull this way on the count of three. Now, Moses has gone up the mountain. You're doubting God. You can't see him. He's not very real to you. It's been a long time since you've had a meaningful walk with God. And you're just like, I'm just going through the motions. And you're about ready to fall spiritually. Watch what happens. Ready? One, two, three. Temptation comes. Go ahead. Come on and pull. Oh, sorry, devil. You didn't win this one. 
Sorry, world. Sorry, flesh. I know you wanted to. You wanted him so bad, but you didn't win. Because this young man saw the greatness of God. Please note, this entire illustration is not based on anything in the text. No, this is not derived from Exodus 32. This is not derived from 1 Corinthians 10. The obvious question is, well, wait a minute. If it was this simple, how come somewhere between Exodus 32 and 1 Corinthians 10, you figure out the thousands of years involved in that, right? How come from Exodus 32 to 1 Corinthians 10, no one has figured out how to do it right? Why? Why Why can't it? Because it seems it's so simple. You just say no. You just say no. You just say no. You, you, just, it just, you, just, you just say no, and, it, and it's all great. How come the Bible is filled from Exodus 32 to 1 Corinthians 10 with sin, 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 rebellion, 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 murder, rape? I mean, you just sit all over the place. Israel just makes every kind of mistake in the world. And how come you get to 1 Corinthians 10, and you got a church where they're doing, I mean, you you name it. You name the sin. They're involved in it. Why? why? Why is it just, why didn't Paul just begin 1 Corinthians 10 this way? Hey guys, you're, you claim to be Christians, say no to sin, stop it, and you'll be good to go. How come from 1 Corinthians 10 to, I don't know, August 2022, we're still having problems? Because it seems to, de- seems to deny the reality that we're sinners and we're always going to sin. Not excusing it, but it's the reality. That's why our hope has to be an imputed righteousness, not in trying to, I guess, just say no and be perfect. Instead of the greatness of flesh. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't know why people are applauding because he just gave an illustration. It has nothing to do with Exodus 32 or 1 Corinthians 10. He's not exegeted the text in any way, shape, or form, I'm completely baffled with what he's done with the text. And not only that, the theological implications of this is a massive train wreck. And this is what young people are getting in 2022, which supposedly this is, according to them, the most influential youth conference ever. And it comes to you from the wonderful state of Indiana. Okay. So we can just now all say shame on the state of Indiana. I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what the apostle Paul said? He said, it's Jesus Christ. It's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And it's turning. Yeah. Everyone's going to say, amen. Hey, sir, how about you read verse 25, Romans seven twenty-five. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul ends that discussion with seemingly acknowledging that with his flesh, he will continue to serve the law of sin. How come that's always overlooked? In fact, I'm going to read that. I'm going to read this. From another translation, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, so then with my mind, myself, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, 
the law of sin. That The reality, positionally, I'm all perfect, I'm great, I'm a new creature. Practically, the flesh is still there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to try to mortify it. I'm going to continue to try to fight it. But it's going to be a never-ending battle that I'm going to lose and lose time and time and time and time again because we sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week in some way, shape, or form by what we do, by what we don't do, by what we think, by what we desire, by our motives. I don't know why the church seems unwilling to acknowledge what everyone has seen in 2,000 years of church history. To him only. Last but not least, they were playing games with the game plan of God. They were playing games with the game plan of God. See, God had a greater game, the game of life. You say, we shouldn't call it that. Paul did. But he said, I'm not playing games like these were playing games. I'm not fighting as one that beateth the air. He said, I'm running to obtain. I'm fighting to hit. I'm going in boldly. I'm not playing games. I'm all in. I am real. And God says, I had a game for them. I had a race for them. I had a life for them. And notice verse number 8 of Exodus 32. The Bible says that they messed it up. Here's what the Bible says. They have, God said it. Moses, they've corrupted themselves. They've corrupted themselves. God had a purpose for them, but they corrupted it. And God has a plan for your life. I know it sounds cliche. You've heard it at every conference you've ever been to. But if you ever start believing it, and if you ever enter into the will of God, which is just simply the wants of God for your life, say, God, what is it that you want? I'll open your word. I'll listen to the preaching. I'll obey. I'll say, yes, Lord. We will see God's game plan for our life realized. My grandma grew up. The young people need to know they're not always going to say yes. They're going to fall short over and over and over and over and over. Their only hope is in the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is like, you can do it. Just say no and do so. And, 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 you're, and then you get all excited at the conference. Like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to say no to temptation. I'm going to say no to this. I'm going to say no to that. And then all of a sudden, they are doing something with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They're not supposed to do. They're, they're listening or watching or, or, or thinking. And then they're going to be like, I keep messing up. I keep messing up. He just told me to say no. He just told me to say no. And I keep messing up. You know what? Christianity is a joke. It's garbage. I'm going to make a video on TikTok of me deconstructing my faith because it's all a bunch of garbage. Yeah, now what was garbage was the lie you were sold at a youth conference in, well, Indiana. That, that's, that's the garbage here. And, and not only that, these young people are not getting, they, they, you, you, you stand outside this church and, and ask these young people, explain to me Exodus 32 and 1 Corinthians 10. Come on, come on, based off that sermon, would they have any clue about anything in this text? No, they would not. Up in poor West Virginia, she had nothing. Once a year, she got a nickel. She could take that nickel to the old fair. This is many, many, like 80 years ago. And she could spend that nickel on one thing. She could buy a little piece of food or candy, or she could do something on the midway. Sometimes there was entertainment. And one year in particular, she tells, told about often how she took that nickel, and she's walking down wondering. She had waited all year long. Her friends had run off to see what they could find, and she was looking around. She saw a man crying out, Hey, Queenie Queen, the mother of a thousand babies! Queenie Queen, the mother of a thousand babies! And she said, I, I love babies. 
And people in those days had many, many children, and she loved to hold them. She had many siblings, eight or nine siblings. And she says, I, I want to see this. How is there a thousand? She was gullible. She didn't know. How uh, is this, you know, a thousand babies? So she walks up the, the wooden plank, and the guy standing there in the top head said, Thank you, young lady. I'll take that nickel. And she walked in what looked like an above-ground pool, and there was wood built up around it. And everybody was packed in, leaning over, looking down into this pool. And she worked her way in so excited, giving her nickel up, working her way in. And she looked over and, went, ah! and ran right out of that tent in the midway. What she hated the most was snakes. She lived in West Virginia. They were dangerous. And inside of that pool was a large mother snake with a thousand little baby snakes writhing all over. And she got outside and she told her son, my dad, she said, I spent that which was most precious to me on that which I hated the most. Sin fascinates, and then it assassinates. You give a boy, a 14-year-old boy, a, a phone, and there's something like TikTok on there. They do not even realize that it is satanically programmed with algorithms that knows how old you are, spending two seconds, three seconds, and it'll start so slight because of the progression, so there's no shock and awe. Do you like this? Do you see this? They even know whether you touch it or not, whether you whether you interact with it or not, across platforms. And in less than 30 days' time, they've brought you to a place that would have shocked you and possibly even made you throw up. Ruining the game plan that God has for your mind, your heart, your purity, your life. And he does it across the spectrum, whether it's the lust and the physical vision world for the guys or the emotional relational world for the young ladies. And it's all a ploy to t come into this very room and to destroy. Think about who we're talking about in Exodus 32. To destroy God's game plan. I was in 11th grade. I had gone to all of these conferences, heard many, many messages. And I sat there in the back. I was there with my brother-in-laws just to sing for the conference, for the, for the camp. It was a small little church camp, only about 30 or 40 people there. And Brother Mark Swanson got up and began to preach. Who will be the one? And I don't remember the whole message, but I remember that God was saying, you don't have an authentic walk with me. I was born again. Some of you may not be, and you'll, you'll miss all of this until you get it settled. And he talked about the same type subject, not same message, but same type subject. And he got to the end and he said, and here's what's worse than you just ruining your game plan. You are destroying your generation." The next thing I knew, I was down on an altar. I was sitting in the back. I was the cool dude that was only there to sing. I wasn't a part of all the other campers, like some of you feel like. You know, I don't know how, how we feel like that we're not. Everybody in this room, if you've got a heartbeat, we're all a part of this. We all have a decision to make. And I found myself weeping and crying. He was playing a song that night that has the sirens of our generation going off, the depression, the darkness, the shootings, the, the, all of the things that are happening around in our generation. It's only grown so much since that day in the 11th grade i had just been to youth conference wait how could how could it have only gotten worse when every time i turn around i'm being told that millions and millions and millions of young people are coming to faith in christ because of these youth conferences that are changing the generation and they're gonna that every, every I, I, it's the contradiction in this he starts off by talking about this conference has changed millions and millions and millions of lives it's the most influential conference ever but yet then the world continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse how many christian ministries can tell you that they're changing millions of lives yet at the same time 
Christians can continue to tell you how bad the world is. Someone is not telling the truth. And they had that same theme, and God just sucker punched me. He was just waking me up. He was showing me that he was the man. He was the God standing, looking down upon my life. And the song was simply entitled Watchmen. They're going to play it for invitation. That'll be our invitation when it's over. Uh, it's done. Brother Abdel or Pastor Wilkerson will come. I want you to make a decision tonight. I want you to make a decision that you, by faith, are going to bring your brokenness to God's goodness. That you're going to bring your faith to God's greatness. And that you're going to bring your surrender to God's game plan. I would, at this point, if I was in a hermeneutics class, okay, if I was anywhere, I would hand out a a blank sheet of paper and say, based off this sermon, supposedly 1 Corinthians 10 and Exodus 32, what is 1 Corinthians 10 and Exodus 32 about? And if you were to tell me that Exodus 32 is about playing games with the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the game plan of God, I, I, I would, I would... I would then ask you to demonstrate from the text how that is true. Even if if what he said is true in that outline, he didn't demonstrate it from the text. And yes, that's that's definitely not the gospel. His gospel is, well, I guess maybe he's preaching to Christians that Christians need to bring their brokenness to God so that they will see the goodness of God, so then that they will say no to sin, so that they will obey the law, so then they'll have a good life. I don't, I don't even really know what the message was. I don't even really know what the—I I can't even summarize it. But there you have it. That is the first session at the youth conference that happened just a couple of weeks ago in Hammond, Indiana. Again— you say, well, it's just some conference in Indiana. They claim it's the most influential youth conference basically in the history of, I guess, American Christianity. I mean, they make it a, a big deal. So what we're trying to figure out is what, how is the church approaching youth ministry in 2022? Now, I know we've taken an hour and 32 minutes to do this, but I apologize. But I, wanted to, I didn't want to break it down to a third one. You'll need to listen to part one where we began the review of the sermon and I gave you my, my philosophy of uh, youth ministry, which goes against everything. And then we concluded that, that one here. And our, the next time we uh, address, uh, we once again begin this series or start the series, we will go with session two and start taking it apart. We're going to go through all the sessions so that we get an idea of what the church's approach is to youth ministry in 2022 at a conference that supposedly is the most influential of all. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Please remember, I still want your list of three things you believe young people need to be taught in 2022. All right, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I apologize for the length. Everyone have a wonderful day. And uh, well, well, we'll be doing some live broadcasting at some other point today. All right, thank you for listening. God bless.